0: It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610-KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. A beautiful June evening. Summer has arrived. Temperatures in the 90s, and we're well on our way into an enjoyable, what we hope is an enjoyable summer. Tonight, a lot of ground to cover in our program. We're going to, of course, get you caught up with the latest on COVID-19 in our community. We're going to also address, you probably heard and experienced if you're a, a new mom, especially uh, the, the news about a baby formula shortage. We'll get you the very latest on that. And in the second half of our program, we're going to shine the light on a program that's happening this week at Cadillac Regional Medical Center called Experience Healthcare. You've been aware, no doubt, of the workforce shortage throughout healthcare for a number of years now, and certainly it's been magnified during the pandemic. And a wonderful program that's taking place at Catholic for high school kids, allowing them to learn a little bit about the healthcare industry, uh, whether they have an interest in going into healthcare at this point in their careers or in their schooling or not. And so it's a way of hopefully increasing the pipeline of healthcare workers in our community. So a lot of ground to cover, but first we're going to go to the phones with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District and get the latest on COVID-19. And Heather, I guess, just what's what's the headline tonight as we're speaking toward the end of June?
1: Sure, Jim. I'll be glad to update you on that. As we look at our COVID data again over the last reporting period, which is really just the last few weeks... um, our, our rates are kind of holding steady. We're not seeing any spikes up or sudden drops. They've dropped maybe a little bit in general. But again, as we've reminded people throughout the pandemic, look for trends rather than one, one moment in time to see if it's going up or down. Because we will see that fluctuation on a weekly basis where it goes up, it goes down a little bit each way. Um, so we're kind of holding steady. We also really need to look at what the wastewater picture looks like, how much uh, virus is being detected in the wastewater, and what's really happening in our hospital situation. And again, the wastewater, as we've talked in the past, over the last uh, few months, we've started to see a significant increase in the amount of virus found in the wastewater, which tells us then there's a lot of virus in the community population And then the hospitalizations will typically lag a few weeks behind our increases in wastewater, and that's exactly what we're starting to see. We saw those spikes up in wastewater, and now here we are starting to see that little bit of an increase in the people who are being hospitalized for covid So that is trending a little bit in the wrong direction, but we're not certainly anywhere near we've been historically where the hospitals were so very, very stressed. Um, Then we also look uh, for the data coming out of the two test sites, the Richland test site and the CBC West test site. And they, too, have noticed over the last reporting period a bit of an uptick in the positivity rate in fact let's see cbc west their positivity rate right, rate right now is at 30% and so it saw an increase of 3.72% and then the richland site is at a 25.59 so almost a 26% positivity rate and they bumped up by 0.71% So that, again, um, add that to some of the other indicators, tells us we are starting to creep up, but then our community has been involved in a lot of activities lately with um, graduations and Father's Day, Memorial Weekend, um, all of those events that have brought people uh, gathered together in potentially risky situations. And unfortunately, we are hearing of, of cases where At a graduation event, people did transmit the virus to the other attendees. And then the other place we really look to see what's happening is in our long-term care facilities. And, you know, historically, we look to schools and long-term care facilities to give us an idea of what's happening in the disease world in the community. We'll start looking to them for flu rates. Are they starting to see an increase in cases of flu or diarrheal illness? And they're kind of the the canary in the cave, sentinel. Uh, We kind of notice things happening in those environments to tell us, hmm, we need to start seeing what's happening across our community. And that is holding true with COVID as well. We are continuing to see some uh, outbreaks in our long-term care facilities uh, we're following a school-related outbreak. And even though school is out for the summer, I think it's important to remember that our kids, some of them are still going to um, summer school, and there are various activities still happening in the school environment. And so we'll continue to monitor what's happening in that school environment, even though it's summer vacation for most kids. Um, you know, So we're, we're certainly not where we have been. But again, it's, it's so important that we keep an eye on that data and not let our um, risk factors get away from us and end up getting infected and then passing it on to other people, because we certainly have the potential of having some more significant spikes in our data.
0: I know relative to vaccination rates, just in general, it's I'm guessing it's kind of a flat at best and and just not seeing much of a bump. But I know the news out since uh, we last spoke, or at least in the last few weeks, it's now available for the youngest of our population to get vaccinated. What is that status? What's your advice to people? What should they do?
1: Sure. Well, of course, we're always recommending the vaccines. And now that it's available across um, the whole age span, except for the under six months of age population. Um, We're really excited to be able to say that the vaccines are now available in our community. The health district does act as the hub for distribution, and so we will be providing both the Moderna and the Pfizer to our, our vaccine for children providers and other providers in the community who want to vaccinate that age population. And we certainly encourage vaccinating of children for COVID just like we do other other, um, vaccine preventable illnesses because you know historically people think maybe kids don't get as sick with various illnesses but unfortunately some kids get sick severely ill and some kids do die of COVID and other vaccine preventable illnesses and so getting your child vaccinated Really, just like with the adult and the teenage population getting vaccinated, really prevents that child from becoming severely ill with COVID and possibly losing their life to it. And, you know, it's a real tragedy when we do hear about the stories around the nation where the very, very young, vulnerable population have caught COVID and it did not end well for them. So we know that this could cause severe illness and death in that young very young population. So to protect your kids, really encourage vaccination.
0: If I'm a parent and I'm listening to this program and I'm wanting to get my child, how do I do that? You said you're the hub. The health district is the hub. What do I need to do if I'm a parent and want to get my young child vaccinated?
1: You really need to reach out to your your family health care provider, whether it's family practice or a pediatrician, and let them know that you would like to get vaccinated and uh, really encourage them to get the vaccine in the provider office. We really want kids to get vaccinated at their medical home. Um, if it's not available, then you need to reach out to the various pharmacies and other clinics that will be providing it to that pediatric population. Um, but again, we really encourage parents to consider it because not only will it prevent your child from becoming very, very ill, But kids do tend to spread illness to others, and the the best we can do at preventing illness, the less we're going to be spreading this around to, you know, some more vulnerable populations, such as grandma and grandpa.
0: Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District, always a great resource of information, and that's the latest on vaccination. Do, if your child is now eligible, check with your local provider and get those appointments set up as soon as possible. Back with the second segment of Cadillac On Call in just a moment.
2: You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall.
0: Welcome back to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And you probably have read over the past week's uh, around our country and around the world about a infant formula shortage for new baby for babies. And and, uh, and it's been a challenge, no question, for, for new families and new parents uh, trying to make sure their, their children are getting the, the nutrition that they need. And so we thought it'd be great to go to the Benton Franklin Health District tonight and get some insight on where it stands and what people should be Uh, learning about it and why it's important and all of the necessary information that we all need to know about. And so to do that with us is Amy Lindholm. She is a public health nutritionist with the Benton Franklin Health District. She's a dietitian by training and she works with the WIC program, which is Women's Infants and Children Program uh, for Nutrition. And so, Amy, thanks for taking the time to be with us. And maybe just an introductory question is, how did this formula shortage occur and what is its current status right now, at least in our community?
3: Oh, thank you for having me. Um, The shortage began last fall. We started hearing about shortages basically because of supply disruptions sparked by the COVID-19 pandemic. But then in February, there was an unfortunate recall with the major manufacturer, that is Abbott Nutrition. And they had to recall several major brands of infant formula and had to close one of their facilities in Michigan um, due to a potential bacteria infection with babies who had consumed the formula from that factory. And so with all of that shut down, it took a real toll on our formula supply.
0: So, wh- currently, I, I was just going to say, the, the question, I'm guessing you're getting a lot of phone calls into the health district. What are, they, what are folks wanting to know and needing to know from you right now?
3: So, this happened February 17th or so, and it was really hard for the last several months. But in May, at least, there is quite a bit of the um, very popular milk-based formula like Similac Advance on the shelves now, there is still a really hard hard find for people who are looking for specialty formulas or anything for the medically fragile infants.
0: What is the health district what how have you been responding to the shortage?
3: Because I work in the WIC program and I'm trying to help participants that are calling us that are on the WIC program We've been fortunate that the State WIC office added 60 formulas to our options, so we have multiple choices for families who are looking for something and aren't able to find what their baby was on previously, and so we can issue different benefits to them and change the formula to try to meet their needs. Um,
0: so, at this point, uh, are are you? Not
3: are you easy to change.
0: I was going to say, so at this point, if, if say if I'm a new mom and I'm experiencing a shortage, and you you have this supply available. How do I go about accessing it? Do I just contact the health district and you help me arrange it? Or how does that work?
3: Oh, got it. Um, The WIC program is an income-based program. And to get benefits for your baby, you have to qualify for the program. And so um, we have over 700 infants on the program right now who are partially or or fully formula-fed. So there's a lot of people in the Tri-Cities that utilize our service now. And we are... Um, certainly available to call and check in and see if you if you can qualify for our program
0: and if you don't qualify i guess if if you don't meet that income threshold, do you just should you contact your your pediatrician your doctor's office to to get assistance that way if you're having trouble?
3: We are really encouraging families to utilize their pediatrician because that um, health care provider really knows your baby and knows their health history and can be a, a much better source of information than we can. Um,
0: what What concerns do you have? what concerns do you have for infants because of the formula shortage i mean if if I'm a new mom or a new you know a new set of parents and I've got you know an infant that's that's needing this what what what's the what's the the concern from your view
3: um the biggest concern i think is that families out of desperation will make um less than ideal choices for their baby. Um, they might choose to dilute their formula, like adding more water to the powder to stretch it and make it last longer, which of course um, dilutes the nutrients and changes changes what that baby is receiving, which can lead to weight loss and developmental delays. And then um, they might try to make homemade formula, which of course there's so much risk of contamination in our own kitchens that could make baby very sick so we wouldn't want to encourage that. Um, we know that parents might take a risk and purchase formula from another individual or even an auction and that formula could be expired or could even be potentially part of the recalled batch of formula. Uh, and then when infant formula isn't available, a parent might try switching to a toddler formula or even whole cow's milk before the baby is ready which um, the American Academy of Pediatrics was really not recommend those choices um, because of the the nutrient differences but uh, they do say if you have to do it in a very short term in a pinch for a week or less you can but it's really not recommended for long term
0: But as uh, as you touched on uh, when this first surfaced are we now getting a little more you know is 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 it improving it sounds like the situation is improving
3: Yes, um, it sounds like we have gotten to the worst part and gotten over the hump, and so we are getting getting things a little bit more available in in stores. The operation fly formula, with some of the formula brought over from overseas, has started to arrive. Um, it seems that the um, factory, the Abbott factory that was closed down, has gotten the approval to reopen, and so we have some um, expect to have more stock coming from that um, operation as well.
0: So do we know, have any idea when we could say things would be back to normal? Is it a matter of a few weeks? Mm-hmm. Is it a matter of a month? Do you have any idea on that?
3: I would really be guessing, but uh, <laughs> it seems like we're probably another three, four months out at this oh, point.
0: So that long. So it's not like this is going to be just an, uh, something that's going to all of a sudden uh, everybody has exactly the amount that they need or the access to the amount that they need.
3: Right. I think it'll be gradually improving, but not not right away.
0: So what what should a parent do if they can't find the formula for their baby currently?
3: Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics basically has said that any uh, any formula that's available is uh, okay to use, and parents can switch to any available formula, including store brands, um, except if a baby's on a specialty formula and then uh, when a parent does switch. Ideally, you want to use a similar product, something that's similar to the product you've been using. Maybe it's a, a one brand of a milk-based formula that's sensitive. Then you could switch to another brand, but still a sensitive version. Um, if you can add it slowly into the diet if you still have some of your regular formula left and could mix a little bit of the regular with the new formula for a few bottles until the baby can get used to it. That might make it easier, and then um, just knowing that it might take a couple weeks for that transition to be easy on the baby, and so sticking with it rather than giving up and trying a different formula would probably be a smart way to go.
0: Not a ton of time left, but I have just a couple of quick more questions. What advice would you have for for a, a pregnant woman who is, uh, I guess, worried, probably, uh and you can imagine why, but what would your advice be to somebody who's thinking about this right now and worried that, there might, you know, what that they may have to deal with this?
3: Yes, I would really encourage a pregnant woman to think about her feeding plan. I think the majority of women plan to breastfeed, and, but there's some common and yet difficult challenges that come up and get in the way of their success. So getting some information and planning and knowing your resources before that baby arrives could really help a woman be prepared and and stick with her goal of breastfeeding if that's what she wants to do. Um, Some women do plan to do both breast milk and formula, which is fine, but it is recommended to get the breastfeeding established before introducing formula so the milk production doesn't get interrupted.
0: If you could take maybe just uh, 30 seconds to just sum up, what's your bottom line message relative to this shortage as we're talking today?
3: Oh, really, just encourage parents to stay in contact with their pediatrician or their healthcare provider because that person knows your baby and can give you the best guidance. And then, if you think you might be eligible for the WIC program and could have access to our WIC dietitians and certifiers, just call the Health District Book Office and we can determine if you're eligible.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time to be with us tonight. It's wonderful, valuable information, especially, and it's mostly time, most timely information at this point, especially for, for new parents and uh, parents-to-be. Amy Lindholm, the public health nutritionist with the Benton Franklin Health District, and, of course, the Benton Franklin Health District website has a ton of information on this and other important health-related items at bfhd.wa.gov. Back with the second half of Cadillac On Call in a moment. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And we have talked frequently on this program about the need in the healthcare world about available career opportunities all throughout the healthcare perspective, whether you want to be a doctor, whether you want to be a nurse, whether you want to work. In physical therapy or any of the other therapies, all across the healthcare spectrum, and really like a lot of industries are seeing uh, throughout our country that there is a lot of opportunity in the work in the workforce arena, and certainly in healthcare, it's it's never been more uh, critical. I guess you could say right now, and certainly there are a variety of reasons uh, for that. Among them, the COVID pandemic, but there is efforts underway uh, around the country and here in the Tri Cities. I know at Catholic trying to. Increase interest in people at an earlier age to want to pursue healthcare careers, and a program that's been in place for Cal- at Catholic for a number of years, but is only back for the first time this year since the COVID pandemic. It's a program called Here Experience Healthcare, and it's geared toward high school students who are considered or, or considering or thinking about a career in healthcare. And it's a wonderful week of education and opportunity and fellowship and really learning. And uh, one of the coordinators and one of the team leaders of this program is with us now, and that's Molly Calhoun. Molly is a nurse by training, and she's one of the nursing directors at Catholic, overseeing What's called Catholic Clinic, the medical group, and as well as the Population Health and Clinical Resource Management Services at Catholic. But this year, you're, uh, or this week, I should say, Molly, you're you're an instructor of high school kids and hoping to spark that interest in healthcare. Maybe uh, from your perspective, uh, what should people know about what's happening over at the Health Plex in Richland this week with these kids uh, wanting to learn about healthcare?
4: Yes, thank you, Jim. Um, it's very, very exciting this week. Uh, we get to bring high school students um, from all over our community uh, together to learn about healthcare, um, and not just doctors and nurses, which kind of get you know front page um, advertising and a lot of the healthcare uh, focus, but all, all all aspects of healthcare, all across the continuum. Um, we get to put it in front of these high schoolers who are. Um, full of excitement and energy and potential and hope. Um, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience.
0: And what, what are they learning? I know they come from all uh, size high schools, large high schools, smaller high schools around the region, around the Tri-Cities area. What are, what are they learning? I know it's not just a shadowing type thing. There's a lot of hands-on activity and interaction.
4: Yeah, we have a packed schedule um, for just one week timeline. Uh, They do get um, job shadows, as you said, and we we try and do our best to uh, create job shadow opportunities that align with individual student interest. Um, Anywhere from clinical engineering um, to environmental services, uh, nurses, providers, uh, finance, you name it, if it's within healthcare, and we can get it um, lined up. We, we really do try to to get them those job shadow opportunities. In addition to that, we have some guest speakers. One of our providers from the ER talks about. Um, kind of choosing your path and, and how to find success in any career path that you choose. It's a wonderful presentation. Um, we have some simulation labs where we have high-fidelity sim equipment. So think um, almost like robotic humans that we can uh, do different scenarios with the students. I think one this year we did was, was a bee sting and anaphylaxis. And so we, we set these mannequins up to react and the students get to um, do interventions. They get to do skills labs like suturing um, fake skin pads. Um, they, they learned from our respiratory therapist about um, airway maintenance. Uh, they also did a mega code today. Um, we, we do finance activities where uh, we play a game all throughout the week where um, students kind of get handed cards in their groups where they may make money based on a certain event that's on the card they get, and they may lose money. And at the end of the week, whatever money they have left, they have to decide how they are going to um, put that money back into the community. And that kind of uh, allows us an opportunity to talk about Cadillac being a not-for-profit and and explain what that is. So uh, this week is just jam-packed with all kinds of learning um, activities for every different type of learner.
0: And one thing that I think is another unique component of this program, and you yourself were one of these group leaders. They're they're broken up into smaller groups of four or five kids, but each of them is with a with a mentor who is an actual Catholic employee. And I know it's a role that you had played a, a few years ago, right?
4: Yes, we call them counselors. Uh, so we break our um, all of the students up into individual teams, usually about six students per team. And each team is assigned a counselor. That counselor is with them through the week. We try to get counselors of different backgrounds um, throughout the organization there. So they, you know, are sharing those unique experiences. But that counselor really guides them in um, developing a relationship as a team. And we tie that back to how important that is in in healthcare to operate as a team. Um, but, But also just kind of facilitate the learning experiences uh, facilitate the relationship building. Uh, and it's just an amazing opportunity for our caregivers. Um, when I was a counselor, I was just going through a rough time. I, I was, you know, a little burned out from work. And I got that week to really step back. And they want to know, these students want to know why we went into healthcare, And it really reminded me of my why and reinvigorated me. So every year we get some really great feedback from our counselors that just kind of let's them you know relax and fall fall in love all over again with healthcare so
0: and if you would maybe take a minute i touched on at the top of this segment just it seems like for years there's been a healthcare workforce shortage but obviously with covid and and, and you touched on the burnout and and just the way that that all across the workforce of in healthcare that that people were just stressed in in serious ways. And so all the more reason to have programs like this to maybe reinvigorate, as you say, and spark the interest of not only new people, but those people that are in the industry.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It could not be more critical need at this time. So as you said, it, it's so important to think when we're thinking workforce development to to look at our future workforce and find that potential, especially within our community. Um, but be, but beyond that, beyond experience healthcare, um, yeah, retaining our current caregivers uh, that we have is is key to our success and then also you know in today's today's environment you really have to be um, creative in in your approach to recruiting and and while that can be extremely challenging and, and often frustrating when when you have such a critical need i also think there's a little opportunity in there you know um in our in our creativity as we're trying to you know recruit Um, people, I think our our recruitment strategies are a little bit different. And so I'm hoping that helps us diversify and reach uh, populations who, you know, we may not have reached before and tap some of that type of talent that exists within our community. Um, So, yeah, it's challenging, but but I do have hope that, you know, from that challenge, you know, there's a good outcome and, and we get some really... Uh, some really great talent um, brought into our organization.
0: At least this group of 20, and I know I happened to be over for lunch the other day, and it was neat to talk to them, I think, in asking them what their career path they were looking at. There was, gosh, I think a pediatric surgeon and an intensive care specialist and an OBGYN nurse and an ER doctor, and and so they, they have high ideals, and high. they're set sight high, don't they?
1: They sure do. That that in and
4: of itself is energizing. I mean, they just got their future before them. They are so excited. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fun it's fun to participate in.
0: Well, Molly, thanks to you and all of the, the, the crew that's taking part in, in making this possible. And I, I should mention, I, Molly's a member of the Catholic Foundation Board, so in her spare time she serves on that. And the Catholic Foundation, I know, has helped uh, financially support this program with scholarships from, from some of the students who might need that help. So, Molly, thanks so much for everybody, and, and have a great rest of your week.
4: Absolutely. Thank you, Jim.
0: Molly Calhoun with Catholic Regional Medical Center talking about experience health care. And when we come back, our final segment, we're going to be joined by a young man who is about to embark on a medical school career. And he was an experienced healthcare care student a few years ago. And we'll talk to him right after this. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation, and we're getting you informed about a program underway at Catholic called Experience Healthcare, where high school-age students spend a week learning about all facets of the healthcare industry, hoping to spark an interest. Some of them already do. Some of them may not know that they do yet, but it's all designed to help replenish and impact the workforce in the healthcare industry in a positive way. And we're happy to welcome to the program right now a young man who about five or six years ago himself experienced, experienced healthcare, and uh, he's now uh, about to uh, embark on a medical school career. And so welcome to Ben Hollenberg, and Ben is a senior-to-be at Washington State University. And Ben, you're calling tonight from Omaha, Nebraska. Tell us what you're doing down there.
5: Yeah, it's great to be on. Um, I am currently on a research internship um, with the University of Nebraska uh, Medical Center.
0: So that's part of your, your education uh, as you uh, get ready to finish. And where are you in your schooling at WSU and, and what's, what's next after you graduate?
5: So I'm currently uh, a rising senior. I graduate in December. And then after I graduate, I'll take a gap semester and then attend uh, Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine in fall of 2023.
0: So you're going to be a doc.
5: Yes. Yeah, that is the plan.
0: <laughs> Hopefully. Well, well, that's that's fantastic. Um, and congratulations on that. And I would just, you know, maybe we touched on this, we're talking about this experience healthcare and and way back when you're, what are you, a Kamaik and Brave alumnus? Is that correct, I understand? Yes, yes, yeah. Kamaik and Brave. Kamaik and Brave alumnus. But talk a little bit about when, take yourself back to when you were a sophomore or a junior to be in high school when you took part in this program. What led you to do it? And I guess what did you learn that maybe helped get you to where you are today?
5: Well, I was interested in healthcare. I've been interested in the career as a physician since about the fifth grade. And I heard about the program, and I thought, hey, this would be a good chance to sort of get a glimpse at what this career would actually be like. And so I heard about it through my school's announcements and signed up. And it was just a super great experience. I kind of got a view of the behind-the-scenes aspect of medicine. I got to shadow physicians. I got to learn about triage and the different issues in the healthcare care system um, and sort of what how a hospital functions, and it really just fueled my desire to become a physician and really strengthened my resolve to go forward with that career path. It was just a great experience.
0: So fifth grade, so what in fifth grade happened that made you wanted to be a doctor?
5: Well, um, I'm not sure. It was kind of, that's kind of the point where I knew I, I really wanted to be a doctor. All through my life, I've uh, had food allergies, uh, currently peanuts and walnuts. And uh, that experience really made me want to help others who have similar conditions. And so I really wanted to go into the research of food allergies and potentially make a cure for it. And then as I looked more into it, I saw that I could help people more, more immediately as a physician or more specifically as an allergist immunologist. And so in fifth grade, I decided, OK, I think I would want to do that career. <laughs> and sort of went forward with that.
0: So nice. You get on to high school, and then you graduate and head up to WSU. What'd you major in?
5: Major, I I started as a microbiome major, um, and then switched to medical sciences because that was that would let me graduate a semester earlier.
0: So now you're off. Uh, next step on the in the rung is is medical school. So that's four years, correct?
5: Yeah, that's four years, and then if I do allergy immunology, a three-year residency in internal medicine or pediatrics, and then a two to three-year fellowship in allergy immunology. So, school—you got a
0: little more school to do, right?
5: Yeah, just just a bit, just
0: Just, a bit, just a bit. But but harken back to when you were in high school, and you're going through this program. I'm guessing some of that education that you learned, especially uh, from folks, probably you touched on uh, shadowing physicians and the like that. I'm obviously it was made very clear to you, the amount of schooling required. Talk a little bit about that.
5: Yeah. I mean, I think the, yeah, the path to medicine is very long and you have to be very serious about wanting to go into it. And I think they, they did mention that and, and talked about, you know, what kind of what the different steps to medicine are and the timeline for that and how, you know, with, With the different steps, you're going to be learning different things. Like once you get into medical school, the first two years will be more academic and the second two will be more clinical. And then once you're in residence, you're basically doing similar things that a doctor would do. Um, And so, yeah, just learning about that timeline was pretty helpful and understanding what I was kind of getting myself into.
0: So, as you uh, any family history? So you touched on you want you know your I guess your own personal health issues piqued your interest, but uh, you have family history in in the healthcare world at all?
5: Um, not really. I'm I'll I'll be the first physician in my family, um, but my dad was a physical therapist, and I I would imagine that that affected um, my path and, and looking at like what careers I to be interested in. The fact that he works in healthcare.
0: Well, I, I I think I'm sure they're very proud of you. Your folks and your family is very proud of you, and congratulations on what you've already accomplished and what's what's yet ahead. I, I guess I would tap you in as a recruiter um, for people. Uh, if if there's a high school student that happens to be listening to this, uh, what would your advice be uh, to consider healthcare as a career?
5: Oh, I I would say um, if you're considering healthcare as a career, definitely. Try to shadow. Try to try to see what being a physician is really like. Because I think a lot of times the um, the career of a physician can be glamorized, and so I think it's good to have programs such as Experience Healthcare to sort of see the the whole whole aspect of being a physician and uh, what being a physician is all about. And I think if you're able to shadow. And to see that in person, that'll really give you a good idea as to if it's a career you might want to be interested in.
0: Well, Ben Hollenberg, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us from Nebraska. Continued good luck. At yeah. Go Cougs. Best wishes on your uh, medical Cougs. school uh, as you uh, your next phase in your career. And thanks for taking the time to be with us. Ben Hollenberg who's going to go to the WSU Medical School, the Elson Floyd School of Medicine, after he finishes his WSU undergrad degree in December. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.